Welcome to episode 239 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have longtime contributor, artist, community activist, playwright, Kitty Bell, with her segment, Kitty Bell Do Tell. And we'll talk, we'll talk with Kitty Bell about major social shifts and loss of innocence, Vietnam and flaws with the media, a dystopian play she's working on. We'll talk about bums in San Francisco, environmental refugees, people who don't rate as important, fake news, and how art helps with anxiety, among other things. We have an EW essay by yours truly titled Nirvana. We have an excerpt from the brilliant novel by Thomas Pinchon titled Gravity's Rainbow. And we have a poem called Fringe. This, of course, as is always the case, will be complemented by several great tunes. It's nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 239 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Come 
Nirvana, intrepid speed toward an objective nowhere, as a mere mortal male has to piss more often than he had in the past, which puts the future in a more acute, if not joyous, perspective. What is this walk or dance, these earnest hopes for romance, those dark realizations and pointless victimization via hapless happenstance? What is this? How one might continue with a smile, hope, and motivation, despite the multifaceted human degradation, is a mystery to me. Are they witless, dumb, and so therefore subtly succumb through shallow rationalization that keeps them going on seemingly strong? Or maybe those people never really went or go to such an extent that leads them to those difficult questions and observations that would more true create a consciousness that is deep and relevant Or maybe I, we, like me, don't see the strength of faith and happiness. Perhaps it is us who have missed the plush, hoagie-filled bus destined toward nirvana. Bye.
Hello. Hello, Kitty Bell. Is that you? It is I. <laughs> it's E.W. Conundrum from Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Thanks for being on the program yet again. Okay. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. How's it going? It's it's going. Sure it is. Um <laughs> Yeah. It's um yeah, I've uh I'm in a I know we've talked about it a little bit uh in a graduate school program right now that's very demanding and it's wonderful and I love it. But I've had to cut back on hours from my uh other job. Finally this week I I told them I I think I worked well last week I only worked 40 hours. The week before that I think I was at 48. And then, and yeah, wow. school, and then school. <laughs> I was kind of, uh, kind of losing it there for a little bit. Was, I lost the balance, you know. So, uh, you were. I was saying you're were, you're were working as a bouncer, right? Do I have that right? At uh... <laughs> no. Oh no! Oh, I got no. that. Okay. Um, but anyway, I want to let people know, Kitty Bell. She's a, a, a longtime contributor of this show, and uh, she's. She's an artist and an educator and, uh, you know, a community activist, very cool person. Uh, so we're going to talk to you about a few things. You, you sent me a text, um, and I think I gathered where you might like to go based on that text. So let me start with uh, major societal shifts. It seems you've been reflecting on those. You've become aware uh, of those uh, from the past in our country's history. Uh, mm -hmm. namely after Vietnam, given that you're watching, uh, I think, uh, Ken Burns' Vietnam um, documentary. Yeah, I'm not watching it, but my friend is, and he, he keeps giving me updates on it. Oh, and, and okay, so there was a transformation, yeah. as you guys understand it, uh, because of the Vietnam War, a loss of innocence or something at a societal level. And uh, now you're wondering maybe if now we're going through another sort of transformation uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's big societal shifts and then little ones, you know, and we're kind of always changing and, and they'll refer to generational things or, um, the Reagan years. <laughs> but I think that that change that we went through, you know, from the sixties into the seventies that I think kind of pivoted around the war um, was so big that it was it's more than the others do you know what i mean whereas like the industrial revolution was a huge thing yes yes um there was something that happened at, at that time like right when i was being born <laughs> that it, it was a different world you weren't born during, during the industrial revolution no, no i'm not that old no you mean the vietnam era yeah 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 i mean it certainly had a huge impact on my life personally you know my dad was in the air force dropping bombs on people um when i was born and wasn't there and my mom was by herself you know in california trying to start a new family without you know without him and it didn't work you know, they ended up getting divorced when I was only three years old. And, and all of that changed my, I mean, that defined my life, you know, I think definitively. 
And you think Vietnam had something to do with that? Oh, absolutely. Of course it did. Because of the effects that it had on your dad's experience, being, uh, you know, part of it, being there? Yeah, and, and just that so much change was happening so quickly. Like when you look at the pictures, you know, going through the 60s, you know, into the 70s, like it's so much change so quickly um, where you go from women wearing gloves <laughs> to like women like wearing almost nothing right. in 10 years. Right. Yeah. Gloves like in the 50s you're talking about. That's that era. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, maybe. You were wearing gloves into the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Mid 60s even. You know, and you'll that, see Jackie Kennedy with the gloves on. Right. And then all of a right? sudden there's a big uh, contingent of bra burning and, and uh, just talking about women now. And uh, topless dancing in the mud at Woodstock. Uh, and then it's in the yeah, 70s. To go from, yeah. It's like in five years, everything completely changed. For the better, I mean, for the worse? or, or you Some just, people didn't. I mean, you could say both, right? Is sort of like a loss of innocence that was eye-opening. I mean, an ignorance isn't a good thing. But then there's a, a crash or something that happens in the wake of that, that people are, are disillusioned or... You know, I don't know how to explain it. Do, do you think the loss of innocence is, in, is inherent with every big societal uh, shift or change, or are you saying it, it that Maybe. Long? Yeah. I mean, the, th- the things you hope for change. Right? Yeah, I guess. So is it a sense of dealing with more real uh, situations and, and uh, ramifications that causes the shift and, and thus, you know, maybe the ideals or a less uh, clear or honest understanding of what was really going on is gone, and that's the loss of innocence. Yeah, I mean, because when you look at what's happening right now, and um, there's this idea, well, we won't know (laughs) how things have changed until after it's over. You know, we won't know until we're in the future what's happening right now. But it it feels like we're in a, a very crucial moment you know, that may or may not coincide with this, like, rise of, you know, the far right around the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. apparently, like, the, there's the, the far right um, faction is growing in Germany. Like, they actually have neo-Nazis in the German parliament right now. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, Angela, Angela won. Angela Merkel did win. Uh, but not time. at... Like, not in a carefree way. No. Uncomfortably close. And like you said, the parliament did gain, uh, the conservatives and Nazis gained some seats. Yeah. yeah, so it feels like there's, you know, a swing going in that direction. Now, we might be able to stop it, <laughs> but we might not. Um, and we won't know until the future comes, but um, it's... It's intriguing, I guess, to to kind of be in the midst of something 
that's happening, you know, because I wasn't alive, uh, you know, I was born in 72. So I was a baby when that other change was happening. Um, you can see it too. There's a new show on HBO called The Deuce. Yep. Which is uh, set, you know, in Times Square during like the birth of the porn industry. Yep. yep. I've and, seen some of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I've seen the first two, but it's it's at that time. You know, right after the war, I think, right? It's over, maybe? No, it's not over yet, but... Okay, it's no, not. No. So so it is. It's You can see that loss of innocence happening, right, as this is going on, where they don't know what a porn film is yet. <laughs> Even though they had earlier versions of that. Right, but there wasn't the industry. It wasn't an right. industry, yeah. 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 But um, that's obviously, I mean, that people can connect with uh, the loss of innocence really quickly. Um, but um, and, yeah, and prostitution wasn't a new thing. No, no, it was not. It's one of the, well, they say it's the oldest trade in existence, right? Prostitution. Right. But uh, it just got to a point where it was almost normalized in, in, that, in New York City and Times Square. Uh, at that at that juncture, it wasn't hidden so much. Maybe uh, exactly. You see them all rounded up into the truck, and if they have papers, they're allowed to stay out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there was a vice squad, you know, busting people before then, but it it was not so blatant and in your face, I guess. So is that? I mean, it's a loss of innocence, but is it also a step toward? Um, a sense of independence and uh, freedom in, t- in some regards, society mm-hmm. and individually. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. These are all good questions that I don't think there's one right answer to them. No. It, you can look at it from different angles. Yeah. You'd always, anything. I think, though, I mean, for you to grow, and I'm not sure how to, def- how I'm, how everybody defines the word grow, but uh, you are going to lose some innocence and you're going to deal with some uh, challenges for sure. And within that time, you're changing. And then hopefully you come to a point where you you are empowered and, and you're more aware of your, your abilities and your rights and, and uh, how to navigate yourself in life. Yeah. I read one uh, review or whatever it was, an essay in The New Yorker about the deuce that said that it was a feminist series. Right. I read that too. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> Is that what made you watch it? Because that's what made me watch it. I wasn't going to yeah. until I read that, yeah, that, that essay. And, and then I was like, oh, maybe I should watch this. Yeah, it helped me. Yeah, because I wasn't into it either uh, yeah. at first. But for the fact that I, I love the main actress, I think she's right. she's great. Um, but um, yeah, but after I read that, it really got my attention more. So yeah. Uh huh. So what's her name? Emily. The author of the essay. Yeah. Uh, that, Nussbaum. I don't, I don't. Yeah, Nussbaum sounds right. Yeah, I didn't remember her last name. That sounds right. It sounds pretty. Yeah. Pretty. Accurate. Something like that. She's good. Oh, they have the best. They have the yeah. best uh, essayists uh, in the New Yorker. So societal shifts, loss of innocence, but at the same time, a step toward um, 
individuality, freedom, uh, maybe a more uh, powerful sense of self, too. That's what we're talking about. Um, yeah, because you have to move. You, you, you can only go forward, even if it seems like it's looking like the past. You're, it's still something different. It's still new, right? Well, let, let, let me bring this up. Yes, I agree. And let me, let me bring this to, you know, the, what some people call the boldness, uh, the unpatriotic behavior that is kneeling for the national oh, anthem in, right. in, in uh, defiance of, not defiance, I, that's not the right word. That's what people look at it as. I don't know. I don't look at mm-hmm. it as defiance. I look at it as, as a protest against uh, the um, injustice again uh, uh, toward some of our fellow citizens, namely those right. those that are of color. Right, I agree. So, I mean, what about that? Is is that a societal shift? Is that you know something that's going to lead to uh, a greater sense of freedom and and uh, independence and such? It could, but. Um... If the end result is people being silenced um, and, and a move toward a sort of, you know, blind patriotism where um, any, any attempt to speak out against injustice is, is viewed as unpatriotic, <laughs> then that's, that's not good. No. And do you, do you go onto your social media and get sometimes perplexed or even disheartened by some of the things you're, you're hearing uh, in response to, to what happened over the recent weekend where a lot of NFL players and uh, people associated with those yeah. folks protesting? I, yeah, I probably would have if I had had time <laughs> to see those things. Yeah, but you were bouncing at the bog all weekend. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and writing, um, and I think that like I'm I'm kind of writing a dystopian piece right now, which has long been a favorite genre of mine, but I never really tried to go there so much. Yeah, um, let's talk about that. I, you mentioned a bit about it—the homeless rehab camp, right? Is, yeah, is the setting. Yeah, I heard um, Michael Savage on the radio. I have a friend who listens to Michael Savage, and it's on when I'm at his house. And it's always interesting to me to hear this, these arguments being made from, from that, you know. I don't even, he's not even like what you think he is. The more you listen to him, it's weird. He's, he's a big <laughs> fan. Of, he's a big fan of Troubadours and Rock on Tours, Michael Savage. Is he? Oh, huge. <laughs> Um, it's just like not what I don't know. Anyway, he he lives in uh, San Francisco and was talking one day about the bums and all the bums in, in San Francisco and how horrible it is that all of these people are pissing in the street and, you know, how they, they ought to be rounded up and and incarcerated. Essentially, they should be taken to work camps. They should be put in ho- work camps for the homeless so that they can earn all of the uh, benefits that they're being given, essentially. Which is horrifying. <laughs> yeah, real nice. Um, but you can see how easily that idea 
could get steam and could be twisted and could be tied into other issues that we're seeing in this country right now with um, like the, the opiate crisis and um, and, and just the, the inequality of wealth that doesn't seem to be getting better. It seems to be like, you know, people are getting richer and then other people can't afford to live. They can't afford housing. They can't afford the, the basic things like more and more. It seems like it doesn't seem like that's getting any better, especially, you know, under Trump, especially. Well, under Trump, I don't think it will, but it, it does seem that uh, Obama made some headway because recently some stats came out uh, that suggest disparity has discre- decreased to a certain uh, extent, uh, surprisingly, oh. surprisingly. And, and, well, that's great. Yeah, that's people, good news. People in the middle got a bigger piece of the pie uh, than they had okay. in the past. It is, I, but I think that was Obama, you know? Right. And now he's not here anymore as president. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, so you take it to the, you know, the possible extreme. And, you know, now we, and I call them comfort stations, you know, in this mm-hmm. future where we don't have the United States of America anymore because there's too much. I mean, you see it already politically. There's so much like people on the coasts versus people in the interior of the country and people who want to have their own countries and, you know, that kind of a thing. And so, you know, the, you in this, it's a screenplay actually, which I've never written before, which is interesting because you can do whatever you want in film. Yeah. <laughs> At least in, on paper, you know, cause I don't have to worry about trying to produce it. Like I usually do. So I can write whatever I want. Um, yeah, so so there are these comfort stations in these free states, and I'm you know I'm projecting into like 2050 something, and um, they are um, saying that they're rehabilitating these people, trying to turn them back into society, um, but then there are, of course there are people who just can't be. Um, and, and they're called irredeemables and they're being used for drug testing and, uh, and work. I was thinking, uh, I mean, it's still in the developmental process, but I was thinking about how, you know, border walls become all the rage and somebody has to build them. So give the job to the, the drug uh, addled irredeemables. <laughs> well, I think there are people that are being tested, you know, and then there are the other people that, you know, maybe could work. Um, I don't know. That so is like dystopian. Said, oh. That's certainly dystopian. And, uh, yes. But maybe not so far-fetched, given the the state of affairs at this moment in the United States of America, you know. Yeah, and, and what if there's more flooding and, you know, yeah. weather-related things that send people out of their homes, you know, to where – homelessness becomes such a huge issue even more so than it is right now like 10 times what it is right now i i think i think uh, there are a lot of projections to that effect, to that uh, end you know with regard yeah. to climate change uh, and how it's going to create all kinds of what they call what they're calling now environmental refugees uh, yeah yeah i think that is going to be an issue i don't know if it's just going to if it's going to be so much so on this continent as much as it is going to be uh, you know, in Asia and other other parts of the world, but those folks, if not here, if it, and I think it's going to happen here too, 
but those folks from other parts of the world, they're going to come to to uh, more so to, you know, the Western, uh, more stable parts of the world because environmental they, refugees. Yeah, environmental refugees and people that just will not have it. Right. Don't right. want to have anything to do with them. No. And then people that do. Yeah, I, I do. I kind of see that fracturing of the country into like little countries, like the EU kind of, you know. So it's still the United States, but it's not the United States as we know it. <laughs> no. And, no. Um, and yeah, and people that want to live um, in a sort of ignorance where they, they don't want to see bums on the street. You know, they 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 have the means to live well and don't want to have to be bothered, you know. So by saying that they're helping people, you know, by getting them out of sight, um, you know, they're washing their hands of it and letting these privatized companies, of course, um, get away with horrible things because these people are less, Does that less than people. And, and and these are the homeless rehab centers that uh, are part of the setting in your new movie. Yeah. What's the name of it? Um, I'm called. Uh, I was. The working title was Comfort Station Number Eight. But like, it would be natural to say like CS Eight, which sounds like CSI. <laughs> so I'm thinking like, now I'm writing Comstat. Yeah. Yeah. Comstat 8. Yeah, that has a nice ring to it. Yeah. It uh, seems like something that they would do would be to make a new word out of the other words. So, I mean, are you are you concerned right now with the society of your nation? Uh, where we're yeah. Headed? Yeah. And and part of that's what what making the the art helps to deal with is that anxiety. You would think well writing about it doesn't make it better or easier to handle, but it kind of does somehow. Um, by turning it into fiction, a fiction, it's, I don't know, it's just easier to process or easier to see how we can change things, how we are writing our own story as a country and we could write a different one. If we choose uh, different leaders or if we choose to focus on our communities more. Yeah, uh, different priorities. Different priorities. So art helps you with the anxiety. It does. <laughs> Absolutely. And it makes it fun. Yeah. yeah. You know? And uh, you, um, you're, you're most concerned right now with local or would you say national or international issues? I, I, I think it's all... It's all... This, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't. I don't think you can separate it. Obviously, what is in your immediate vicinity has more of a an impact directly. But you know, I, I still listen to the the BBC news as opposed to like CNN or something because it does talk about the rest of the world. Um, and you know, it's important to know. You know, <clears throat> what's going on like in Sierra Leone when thousands of people were killed in a mudslide and you didn't hear a word about it on on the American news? Yeah, that's true. 
I actually, I didn't hear anything about it until you just mentioned it, and I feel ashamed of that. Of that. It, it wasn't that long ago. It was a couple months, maybe. And I remember saying, like, why am I not hearing about this except for on the BBC? Like, so many people were killed in this mudslide. Were they just not important enough? Well, it, so does that, that... That idea, I think, is everywhere. You know, whether it's local or national, international, these people that just aren't as important as other people, whether it's like Black Lives Matter or, you know, homeless people or, or whoever that just doesn't have the money and the power is, is just not as important. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it, haunting. It is haunting. It is haunting. Well, then do you think uh, Donald Trump and his followers have a point when they talk about fake news? Um, fake news has been around forever. <laughs> I was just watching Citizen Kane for a class, and, you know, that's what he was famous for, right? Right. But is Donald and his, his you know, the Trumpsters, Trump, Trumpeters, whatever the hell they're call, calling themselves, mm-hmm. Are they onto something in the way that they look at the uh, idea of fake news? Or do you think they, they get it wrong? Oh, uh, yeah. The, their idea of fake news is anything that doesn't align with their philosophy already, which mm-hmm. isn't what it is. Um, and leaving people out of the news isn't fake. It's just under-reporting. Um, you know, whereas... There's flooding in Houston, and it's all you hear 24-7 for a week. Um, And there's earthquakes in Mexico and things going around all over the world. And we're just so completely focused on ourselves in this country. You know, you just reminded me of a conversation I had recently when I was calling up uh, some 1-800 number because uh, a power cord that I bought wasn't working, and there was a number to call if you're having problems. So I call, and... And I'm talking to this gentleman on the other line, and he's waiting to pull up some information. And there's a long pause, and he said, so how you doing? And I, I was taken aback by that. I go, excuse me? He said, how you doing? <laughs> I said, I'm fine. How are you? He, goes, he said, well, yeah. I'm in Mexico City. You know, We had that major earthquake. It's kind of tough. And then we had this real human moment. You know? And I said, wow. I said yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. That was devastating. Is everything cool with you? He said, yeah. Thankfully, nobody close to me was really hurt, but... It's really wow. It's really kind of intense, and and then the, the the information came up on the screen, and we got right back into the the trans, you know, the business conversation. But it was it was a poignant for me, human moment. And, you know, I was in my own world. It was just something I had to do. Check it off the list. Call the folks to work. Figure out what's wrong with your power cord. And then you know, I'm talking to this guy who was dealing with something pretty intense in his neck of the woods. Yeah, they can have all the power cords they want, right. <laughs> but there's nowhere to plug them in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so we solved a bunch of problems, I think, again, Kitty Bell, <laughs> <laughs> or at least pointed to a bunch of questionable uh, ways or tendencies in, in our yeah. world. Yeah. One of the fun things about imagining my own dystopian world is that there are good things that have that that happen as well you know it's not just like everything in this future society is bad like i i also see how some progressive things will there will be achievements and advancements 
at the same time that other things go wrong, you know? So it's complicated. And maybe part of that is you can't win all the battles. Or even understand them. Yeah. Totally. totally. Yeah. Uh, Well put. And, um, uh, you know, good luck with the, with the, uh, with the movie and, and uh, with the uh, pursuit of your, your next degree in, in uh, writing. and uh, Yeah, so far I have hundreds in all my classes. Excellent. That's <laughs> not surprising. Um, and hopefully we see you out and about soon in the Scranton area. And uh, Thanks for sharing some time with us, Kitty Bell. It's a pleasure thanks. as always. Yeah, it's, it's lovely to chat. Enjoy, enjoy uh, the autumn weather. Yeah, yeah, whenever it comes, I will. Yeah, actually, you're right. It's still summertime-like out there. It's like 92 today, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Take care. Okay, you too.
It's not the spotlight It's not the candlelight It's not the street lights Some old street of dreams It ain't the moonlight Not even the sunlight An excerpt from Thomas Pinchon's masterpiece, Gravity's Rainbow. Pirate in the lavatory stands pissing, without a thought in his head. Then he threads himself into a wool robe he wears inside out so as to keep his cigarette pocket hidden, not that this works too well, and circling the warm bodies of friends makes his way to French windows slides outside into the cold, groans as it hits the fillings in his teeth, climbs a spiral ladder ringing to the roof garden and stands for a bit, watching the river. The sun is still below the horizon. The day feels like rain, but for now the air is uncommonly clear. The great power station and the gas works beyond stand precisely. Crystals grown in morning's beaker, stacks, vents, towers, plumbing, gnarled emissions of steam and smoke. Ha! Pirate in a voiceless roar, watching his breath slip away over the parapet. Ha! Rooftops dance in the morning, his giant bananas cluster, radiant yellow, humid green, his companions below dream drooling of a banana breakfast. This well-scrubbed day ought to be no worse than any. Will it? Far to the east, down in the pink sky, something has just sparked very brightly. A new star, nothing less noticeable. He leans on the parapet to watch. The brilliant point has already become a short, vertical white line. It must be somewhere out over the North Sea, at least that far. Ice fields below and a cold smear of sun. What is it? Nothing like this ever happens. But Pirate knows it, after all. He has seen it in a film, just in the last fortnight. It's a vapor trail. Already a finger's width higher now, but not from an airplane. Airplanes are not launched vertically. This is the new and still most secret German rocket bomb. Incoming mail. Did he whisper that or only think it? He tightens the ragged belt of his robe. Well, the range of these things is supposed to be over 200 miles. You can't see a vapor trail 200 miles now, can you? Oh, oh yes. Around the curve of the earth, farther east, the sun over there, just risen over in Holland, is striking the rocket's exhaust, drops and crystals, making them blaze clear across the sea. The white line abruptly has stopped its climb. 
that would be fuel cut off, end of burning. What's their word? Brenschloss. We don't have one, or else it's classified. The bottom of the line, the original star, has already begun to vanish in red daybreak. But the rocket will be here before Pirate sees the sunrise. The trail, smudged, slightly torn in two or three directions, hangs in the sky. Already the rocket, gone pure ballistic, has risen higher, but invisible now. Oughtn't he to be doing something? Get on to the operations room at Stanmore? They must have it on the channel radars, no? No time, really. Less than five minutes, Heg, to hear. The time it takes to walk down to the tea shop on the corner for light from the sun to reach the planet of love. No time at all. Run out in the street? Warn the others? Pick bananas. He trudges through black compost into the hothouse. He feels he's about to shit. The missile, 60 miles high, must be coming up on the peak of its trajectory by now, beginning its fall now. Truss work is pierced by daylight. Milky panes beam beneficently down. How could there be a winter, even this one, gray enough to age this iron that can sing in the wind or cloud these windows that open into another season, however falsely perceived? Pirate looks at his watch. Nothing registers. The pores of his face are prickling, emptying his mind, a commando trick. He steps into the wet heat of his bananary, sets about picking the ripest and the best, holding up the skirt of his robe to drop them in, allowing himself to count only bananas, moving bare-legged among the pendulous bunches, among these yellow chandeliers, this tropical twilight. Out into the winter again. The con trail is going entirely from the sky. Pirates sweat lines on his skin almost as cold as ice. He takes some time lighting a cigarette. He won't hear the thing come in. It travels faster than the speed of sound. The first news you get of it is the blast. Then, if you're still around, you hear the sound of it coming in. What if it should hit exactly? Ah, uh, no. For a split second, you'd have to feel the very point. With the terrible mass above, strike the top of the skull. Pirate hunches his shoulders, bearing his bananas down the corkscrew ladder. She reads the That she learned so well from the old wife, and it's so strange to arrange it. No, I would not change it. But hear me if you're near me. Can I just rearrange it? Through watchmen. Thank you.
dollop of fringe as pseudo as that click can actually be while i sit underneath an oranging red maple tree set out there on a robust hillside of a freer country my doc martens somewhat passe as they have become fashionably clean and inadvertently cliche you
And there you have it, episode 239 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our featured guest, long-time contributor, artist, community activist, playwright, Kitty Bell. Thank you so much for the wonderful conversation, Kitty Bell. Look forward to the new dystopian play. I also like to thank Thomas Pinchon for being a brilliant writer and for writing Gravity's Rainbow. Let's thank these wonderful musical artists as well. Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, The Dell Vikings, Built to Spill, Beth Orton, The Band, The Late Great Charles Bradley, God bless you, sir, as well as Terrence Blanchard and Branford Marsalis, too. Next week, we have another wonderful musical artist on the program, as has been our habit, thankfully. Nationally recognized, in the words of the New Yorker magazine, brilliant subversive Nellie Mackay. Until next week, enjoy this one. Take care.